Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Faith here with your podcast, Welcome Toast. If you want breakfast in bed, sleep in the kitchen. Listen to our show in small bites or enjoy the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We have a Mother's Day thing, these two-ingredient biscuits that you can do just as plain cream biscuits, or you can do them with a little added sugar, making them just three ingredients, no special anything. And you have strawberry shortcake. So we're going to attach that to Mother's Day. Can't wait to talk about that. And we have a special little quiz coming up to start the show. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, Mark Raymond. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey Faith. Robin Doyon Aiken is here. Was our senior producer. Hey, Robin. Hey, Faith. Okay, breaking news. There's a new pizza topping in town. What? Made, made my heart <laughs> take I'm a little ready leap. For are you ready? It is. You want to take a guess? What's the new pizza topping? Go ahead, Mark. Go. Okay. Anybody jump in? Salmon. Okay. It's a good try. Everything's been on a pizza. What okay. What could they add? Uh, shoe. Here you go. Come on. Really? Crackers. <laughs> okay. Because you all would have liked it. de leche? I don't know. You know what? The day they did spaghetti on top of pizza was the day where I said, That's this it. is it. This is <laughs> yeah. just the it. Macaroni okay. cheese. Okay. So here it is. The new pizza with red sauce is topped with flaming Hot Cheetos. No. What? <laughs> How about that? This is a California pizza chain, Amici Pizza Kitchen. It has this pizza now on its menu. There's no reason why you can't try this at home mm. to see what you think of this. And I say that. Just dump a bag? Give it a test drive. Okay, so order if you go pizza? out, order a pizza to go, <laughs> and have it, you know, go, comes to the house. Seriously, get the bag of Flamin' Hot Cheetos and put it on top. Now, Chris is laughing. You can laugh, is but there I on it? am. Uh, yeah, sure. Like a regular pizza. I am pizza. a crazy nut about Cheetos. I <laughs> love. The, I do love the Cheetos. When it's the afternoon and it's snack uh-huh. time, if I'm in a store and I get one of those little bags, I think it is the most exciting. Gone it. The bag is empty in seconds. I always worry about food that could actually stain your fingers. Yeah, your fingernails. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's questionable. Oh, come on. I am not putting Cheetos in my pizza. Listen, you eat eat a bag of Cheetos in the car and you get out of the car. Wherever you are, people know you just ate a bag of Cheetos. Yeah. It's on your face. It's in your beard. Yeah, it's in your beard. It's on your fingers. (laughs) It's in your clothes. Well, I think it's a great idea. I would really like to try this, and I'm going to Hmm. try this. I'm really, I'm going to try this. Because Alex? I like a little, I'll try. It. I let a little. I like a little crunch in the stuff. So I'm just going to see. What I'm just wondering, like. is it going to be crunchy after? You sure. know, I mean, well, no, you sure don't put it, it in the oven. You, you put you it on, put top it on of the pizza each bite. after the oven. Yeah. After you just sprinkle, yeah, Listen, sprinkle it on. Each f- I frankly Listen. don't know how they make it at a Michi Pizza, but I would just sprinkle it on and then chew and see what I like. <laughs> see what maybe, I think about maybe it. Maybe toast them up ahead of time or something so but they can. They're, they're can so stand. crunchy. You don't yeah. even need to do a thing to them. They're yeah. perfect. Did you but aren't know? you a fan of the potato chip on the tuna fish sandwich? Yes, yes. So oh, that's kind yes. of right. Yes, yes that it is. It's all about ham sandwiches. We put potato chips on every sandwich. Doritos. I'm telling you. Maybe this is the new pizza 
This is the new pizza. And so here's another little piece of breaking news. I saw this in uh, Food Network magazine. Scientists apparently have just uncovered these fossilized things that they turns out were food. And they did this. They went to Patagonia. They found these things. And it turns out, after they did their testing, these are two 52 million year old fossilized tomatillos. Nice. Wow. You know those, those um, wow. we incredible. call them Mexican small tomatoes, a husk on the outside, they're green, and they taste a little bit sour. They're gorgeous, sliced with all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. You know, fish on a plate, just the way you would do tomatoes. They taste a little bit different. This is five times more old than anybody originally thought. 52 million year That's old crazy. fossilized tomatillos. Think how far wow. back that goes. It surpasses anything else that they know of. Isn't wow. that unbelievable? That's incredible. I first thought you said tamales. I was thinking, yeah. who's making tamales back then? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they might have. Since <laughs> they had they to- tomatillos going, you know. <laughs> so authentic. So. I'm really encouraging you to try them. They're in the produce aisle of a supermarket, and they're with that stuff where you're not quite sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. The chayote, has yes, that, am I yeah. pronouncing Chipotle it? Chipotle peppers. And... and so they have little husks on them, and you see, you just peel them off. Some people cook them, but you really can slice yeah. them. Make Good salsa? With, mm-hmm. Yeah, we Great make acidity. a salsa with them. Mm. Yeah. Should make a cocktail. They're, that's a great Like a tequila mm. cocktail. Oh, juice them. Would yeah. you try that? Put them into the Bloody Mary. Mary. Alex, Rub the salt. Yeah, that let's, is yeah. the let's best try. idea. Or whip it up in the uh, food processor and see what happens. Yeah. You know, add whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Any kind of cocktail. I would love for us to try that. Let's invent that. And let's you can do, do this at home, too. Oh, yeah. And see what you come up with versus what we come up with. And then you tell us on Facebook. <laughs> what can we give them? A bushel of tomatillos. Give them a tamale. See what you can come up with. Whether you are celebrating Mother's Day or not, and it doesn't have to be someone in your family, it can be a friend you're celebrating, but whether you do that or not, this recipe I'm about to tell you about, and we have this posted online, it's so unbelievable. This is the most amazing biscuit recipe that I have ever encountered. These are two ingredient. As in one, two. <laughs> two <laughs> ingredient cream biscuits. Foolproof, right? They are foolproof. It's because you're using self rising flour, which has things in it that make these biscuits rise. They are creamy and airy. And they're so light and so delicious. And for Mother's Day, we have a trick. We tell you how to add just one-third ingredient, a third, to make (laughs) these into the perfect shortcake biscuits. And that is just a little bit of sugar. Two ingredient biscuits, self-rising flour and heavy cream. And you'd brush a little of the heavy cream before you put it in the oven on the top, and it's shiny and beautiful when it comes Mm. out. And otherwise, you add just a touch of sugar if you're going to do strawberry shortcake for Mother's Day. Perfect. this is our – you might do this with a barbecue. I would do – I don't care if it's summer, winter – Spring. I think yeah. you do it all year round. These yeah. are the go-to yeah. biscuits. This is at foodschmooze.org. You will find these around the Internet. We've talked about these for ages, but I wanted to bring these back for Mother's Day. Now, Chris Prosperi, I asked him because I thought there's so many people now with gluten issues mm-hmm. and can't have it, gluten-sensitive. Yep. Jovial Foods makes that einkorn flour. Yep. And a lot of people who are gluten-sensitive 
are able to tolerate the einkorn flour, not mm-hmm. celiac, of course, gluten-sensitive people. So I asked Chris, can you translate that? And he said he could. Mm-hmm. So if you are gluten-sensitive, not celiac, but gluten-sensitive, Chris, you use you substitute einkorn flour and you for add, the self-rising. Uh, and you add one ingredient, baking powder. Oh. Mm. And you add two tablespoons. Two tablespoons of baking powder. So einkorn instead of the self-rising flour. Mm -hmm. And you can do the sugar if you want, if you're Mm -hmm. doing that, and the heavy cream. Two tablespoons of baking powder, and that's it. They come out. Still foolproof. Fantastic. And they're still foolproof. Mm -hmm. And I think from what I've been doing with all my reading on this, you you can also, there are some gluten-free flours, like the mixes, that you can find that you can try and do the same thing with the baking powder and it does come out okay. Ah. I read that's the cool thing about recipes online you get feedback and I saw one biscuit recipe that was real similar to the one you're talking about and they substituted gluten-free flour and they said it was fine. <gasps> that is fantastic. right. So that's what the cool thing you read feedback, right? So I would like to put an idea forward for a Mother's Day strawberry shortcake using these biscuits, these two ingredient biscuits. So here's my trick. I like to have Strawberry shortcake on Mother's Day, it's springy and everything, but everyone knows that it's a little early and strawberries need a little help right now, still at this time. So I recommend roasting the strawberries first that you're going to use in your shortcake because it really concentrates the strawberries. It Mm. concentrates their flavor. In the oven? Yes, roast in the oven. 350 at, or maybe even a little higher, Chris, if you're going to roast them for a shorter amount of time, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. I mean, keep an eye on them because you don't want them to go too far. But the idea is that because they're not super flavorful still in May, when you concentrate their flavors, it's going to make for a better shortcake. That's genius. Robin, I love this idea. Uh, Also, I was thinking you could, could, could you, what does everybody think, brush a little bit of balsamic on top of those strawberries before mm, roasting, I wonder yeah. if that would get a little, a little caramelization on the top. Would it? Do you yeah, think? Yeah, totally. Or a little, and a little honey, maybe, or a, a little, little maple wine. syrup, or yeah. a little red. Oh wine. yeah, yeah, just to spice it. Red wine. It, mm. I was just thinking we do this with <laughs> tomatoes. Too. We we do this with tomatoes in the winter. It's a genius yeah. idea, Robin. When it's not tomato season and I want a good tomato, I try to go to the grocery store, find the best tomato I can, and I roast it because it intensifies the flavor and it's like almost having a real, real tomato. Yeah. Why wouldn't that work with strawberries you know of course we always would. have strawberries that we have to throw away because they're covered with mold by the time we get to them but i'm going to use your oh. trick and start roasting them and then you, you know. can save them yeah. jar, save them, them. jar yeah. them up in yeah. the put them in a ziploc bag yeah use Freeze a top, them, top yeah. ice cream yeah. with it if you're not going to make the biscuits idea. or whatever but just you know klondike they, bar <laughs> now, yeah. there are hey, if you see that on my menu on Mother's Day, you know where you where I got uh, it from. Because oh. that's genius. Very cool. That yeah. is absolute genius. Okay, <laughs> here here's the thing. Uh, we thought we'd do an avocado thing for you, and I'm completely going to give credit to somebody, and that is Doc Willoughby, John Willoughby, and his team at Cooks Illustrated. Because, you know, they've got that giant kitchen full of scientists, and they test and they test and they do all these scientific experiments with things, and they come up with information that is so valuable because it was tested. So it is a kind of consumer reports approach. And so one tip is from a bunch of tips on avocados from them. And then I have a recipe idea from Food Network, which I thought was really terrific. Maybe you folks have heard of it. I've never heard of it. It could also work for Mother's Day. So hang on. Here, avocados. Um, I'm constantly giving them the squeeze test. Yeah, yeah. see if they're right. I did it last night at the grocery yeah. store. So did I. <clears throat> and the color never, test. Ugh. Okay, so they're saying you know it's spo- you're supposed to give a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but if it stays punched in in any way, there's no spring back, don't get that. It's too ripe. Mm. Another thing you can do is just wiggle the stem. And if you see something oh. dark under the stem, don't do it. It's overripe. Gotcha. And if the stem won't wiggle at all, it's underripe. Some people have patience and put it on the counter. So you can just flick off the stem and do this test. So here's this like question that. of how do you ripen avocados in the speedy way? Paper oh. bag? Do you, I don't know if you do this That's at home. They said the paper bag thing works a little bit, traps the mm-hmm. ethylene gas, and they ripen a little more quickly. So very, very good. But there is a way you can do it in the refrigerator. It will take a little bit longer because the chill slows down the ethylene gas. However, if you put the avocados in the front of the refrigerator, they will ripen in there. And I've always heard, Mm -hmm. keep them out of the refrigerator. So that was interesting information to me. Hmm. Um, Okay. And if they're ripe, if you find your avocado is ripe and you're not ready to use it, stick them in the refrigerator for sure. And that slows it down. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. Quickly, Food Network has this idea. Next time, you know how you do egg in a hole? Yeah, slice, right, of, yeah, yeah. slice of bread, the yeah. toast, the little uh, shot glass or glass, mm-hmm. pull yeah. out the, the center. You <laughs> see where my mind is. Okay. Um, they said do, when you open the avocado, pull out that pit yeah. or in the other half, crack an egg. I saw that online. Isn't once. that yeah, great? That's a great? We idea. do this at home all the time. And you do? bake it in the oven. Yeah, yeah. yeah crack I've, seen, it. I, I've never pepper. tried it, but I've seen it. Yeah. Put in it, put, in it put some salt on a baking sheet so it yeah. doesn't wobble. Yeah. Crack the egg into it. Yeah. Uh, make it a medium egg because a large one will overflow. Four twenty-five, yeah. about fifteen, yum. eighteen minutes, oh my and God, you've yum. got. Oh yeah. And you can Is sprinkle some Mark's salsa. Oh, yeah. and, I do it in the cast iron pan where I. That's a Mother's Day. Go ahead. I shell. I take the whole avocado out and slice a little bit off the bottom oh, so it makes it and then I put a little bit of base. bacon fat in the oh. in the pan and then I put the egg inside and okay you win oh that is really good <laughs> a little salt and pepper we're good oh maybe I just do a little lime on there I would oh just yeah add it. it's like huevo huevos rancheros yeah then yeah then you take it out a little and you, salsa a little salsa over the top mm, lime juice oh. oh yeah oh boy okay very very good this kid brings us to guacamole, but, but we'll, we'll <laughs> handle that on another show. We keep for doing sure, it over and sure. over again, but everybody's got a way to make this. Oof. Ahead, we have a delicious rosé to tell you about. Just absolutely terrific and at a very affordable price point. And we also have one of the stars, I think, of the food world. He's one of the best writers going, Adam Gopnik of The New Yorker, author of many, many books. He's going to be our guest on the show. He has written a play that is premiering in New Haven at Long Wharf Theater. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back.
I'm Faith Middleton, and this is the Food Schmooze Party. We have, you want a free copy of the show? We'll send it to you. Um, it's called a podcast. You probably know this, but if you don't, we'll send it to you on your phone or on your main computer, depending on what your situation is. If you don't have any of that, that's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> um, but you can go to the library and tell them you want to go online and they could help you. But anyway, we've got this free podcast of the show and we will, if you sign up for it one time at our website, we'll send it to you every week. You don't have to do anything. You can still listen live, but it, you know, if you're busy, you can listen on your schedule. Okay. So just go to foodschmooze, S-C-H, like school, M-O-O-Z-E, foodschmooze.org. Just sign in and there you go. I'm with my treasured food buddies. More to the point. Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Wine broker Alex Province and a wine broker Mark Raymond. Coming up, stay where you are, we have one of the great writers going. Adam Gopnik is on our show. I'm so excited. He's written a play and it's at Long Wharf in New so Haven, cool. so stay with us for that. Let me get to the wine. We've got a wine discovery. Rose fans in the room, right? Oh, my oh of course. Summertime. You know, it's gotten so that rose is becoming so popular, people are drinking it year round, year round. which oh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see. But summertime is big time for rose. And we've got a great one. I think it's $12, $13 a bottle. That's great. Uh, and it is very fresh tasting and gorgeously pink in the glass, huh? It is a beautiful rose. It's the perfect pale pink that you look for. It's not that darker cranberry color it just like screams salmon. spring and summer it's yeah. it's amazing salmon. it's yeah. like a pale pink whisper yeah. pink yeah, yeah. almost like a, a pale yeah. rose kind of yeah. color yeah i made easter you know? eggs this color okay cool. so <laughs> um i love it okay I, so this is I just called... looking at it i love looking at it in the glass i love drinking <laughs> <laughs> this isn't this fresh robin i think this was a hit with you and you're just getting into rosés um, well it's the show really that has exposed me to more rosés and so that's the thing i probably would not go seeking them out at my wine shop, but since I've been tasting a bunch on the show, yeah. Rosés are very inexpensive, comparatively speaking, for the quality. So if you spend under $15 and you get a fresh vintage, 9 out of 10 are going to be incredibly good. I agree. Can you help people understand where the pink color comes from and all its various shades, what that has to do with? Well, it's my understanding that it comes from the red grapes that they use to make the wine, but it's very, very little skin contact. So normally what you would do is when you press the grapes, the grape juice and the skin would sit together for an extended period of time, extracting that dark purple red color. But this, they don't let the skins touch the juice at all. They just press the first press of the grapes, and then you get that just pale, pale pink. Yeah, so this is three red grapes, Grenache. Sanso and Syrah. So really total dark, red grapes. Yeah, dark and, grapes. And the, if you cut a grape in half, a red grape in half, the juice and the pulp and everything inside is clear. So, if, yeah. so the only thing that's colored is the outside. Yeah. So oh, these three red grapes just get pressed, and they only have a tiny little bit of opportunity to get stained with the red skin. And then you make this beautiful color. But what you get with that little staining is a little more like oomph than you would get in a white wine. So it's body, like a like little body. body and some structure, and which makes it good with food. So it's I love drinking them by themselves. Me <laughs> which too. Is icy cold. Yeah. But you can also have this with salmon or any other kind of fun fish or chicken. You put yeah, it in the I freezer love, just before yeah. serving? I don't mind I putting do. an ice cube in it either. I did that for my mom the other day. And my mom said her, her dad says never baptize wine. But... <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, well, that, technically that's true because like that, it waters you know it down, but I don't But we care. all do it now. Yeah. Yeah. We all do totally. it. Okay, as it's online at foodschmooze.org. We have a picture of the label. You can just read it to your wine store. You can bring it and show them on your phone, and we tell you exactly what to say at the wine store. So this is, um, you know, $12, $13 a bottle. It's Belarus is the name of the vineyard. And so this is a rosé Cote de involving the grapes that Alex just talked about. Is it Michel Chapoutier? Yes, and he's a big... We like him. Yeah, we love him. So his name is on all these different kinds of wines, and when I see it, I think, okay, I can trust this. You too? Yes, definitely. And once you can pronounce his name, it's always fun to be Chapoutier. Just a fun (laughs) one. Okay, 2016. I would drink this with just about anything. Well, you know... By itself. When you you think about the grapes that are going into this, you know, you've got Syrah, Grenache, Mm -hmm. and Cinso. So... If you typically think of the types of food that you have from this region, you would think anything off of the grill, lamb, cheese. This, you even. can have this all through the summer yeah. with that stuff off the grill. So Paella. It has a little bit of that weight, so mm. it helps to work with those kind of foods. So, so this but you get to chill it down. Exactly. In this particular one, let me say that this is one that is so fresh that it has the faintest effervescence in it you yeah, can like you keep bubbly, going right? is this bubble? feel it on your that, tongue yeah what is that is that the effervescence just, it's co2 it's just from the fermentation yep. it's so fresh that yeah. there's still carbon dioxide little, little bubbly yeah. yeah not bubbly it's but just pleasing like, yeah. and it's pleasing it's, it's joyous it's yeah. clean it's got a little body to it it's beautiful color in the glass it goes with everything i don't what, what bad thing can you say about this what's the price it, it get, point it gets three yummies 12, 13, for me three out of three yummies it's at my highest my highest rating it gets three yummies and, and we, <laughs> we tell you there to say that who the distributor is brescom barton right yeah know this when you go to your wine store because if it's not on the shelf these stores they only have so much shelf space mm-hmm. but they mm. can get this from this distributor within 24 hours if it's a good wine store so i like what you uh, said too about knowing that producer because I, don't know, but I get lost in wine shops and if you know one or two if you're looking for a french wine and you know the producer name you can find all kinds of wines with his name on it and then you know to trust you those see, wines you see chapoutier and lots of stuff yeah. and you can just flip over and and know anything he's making is good he puts yeah. braille on every label oh that's another way to find it i huh? just yeah. go to no, go there. well it, oh, you can't he? quite see yeah, it on this yeah, label but, but on some it. of the other labels yeah. but you can feel it and yeah. you know yeah. there's yeah. all kinds of legends about why he did this to yeah. begin with and who knows what's true but anyway there, it's on there <laughs> um huh. am i being fair to wine stores when i say a good wine store will get this from the distributor within 24 hours Every distributor can deliver the following day. But if you go in at 6 o'clock in the evening after work and the distributors have already closed, they can't get an order in for the next day. And sometimes, you know, they have orders coming on Thursday, for example, and it's Monday, and they'd rather just ship it on a Thursday. So cut them a little bit of slack. But if it's really important, most definitely, yes, they right. can get, get If you're going to you show up on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, that's they tough. don't deliver on Saturdays. They so don't deliver on Sundays. I think this is so. why it's good to call ahead. Yeah. And also good for the wine store, to be honest. And say, here's why. Yeah. You know, our delivery is on Thursday. But they can all get it is the point, right? That's the point. Or two, At 48 yeah. hours without a yeah. doubt. Okay. Yeah. That's fair, right? Okay. Yeah. We were talking about Mother's Day, but this is really for everybody. But it would be a great Mother's Day thing. Oh, my God. Um, 
when things are fresh in the market, quite often we like to see if we can find a way on the show to incorporate that ingredient into your recipes. And right now, among many other things, we have arugula, oh, yeah. uh, that peppery green, and mm. um, I love it. And Me so too. Me as well. I made a Chris? lemony arugula prosciutto pasta. Ooh. And so I've done a <laughs> recipe. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you tell people more people should cook with arugula because it is an amazing flavored yeah. green. Not just for salad. It welts down. Welts okay. down Yeah. Okay, so, oh, so here's how you do this. So this is on the website, foodschmooze.org. You cook the pasta, and when it's done, you just take a cup of that cooking water, and you just set it aside, and then dump the water out, drain the pasta, and just set the pasta aside for a second. And then back in that empty pasta pot, you put lemon juice, lemon zest, butter, cheese, and that cup of pasta water. And the water, you're just going to do a little at a time in your mixing until it has a kind of creamy consistency. And then you put the pasta back into the pot, into that sauce with the uh, chopped up prosciutto, a little dash of hot pepper flakes if you're using that. And then you add the arugula, which is fresh in there, and you stir, and the arugula wilts from the heat Naturally, off of everything. Yeah. And a little salt and pepper to taste, and you serve it with a little you know, parmesan. grating of more Parmesan in there. And Ooh, I put a one final squeeze of lemon juice on the top. Uh, and there you go. What does the arugula do? It wilts up a little bit. And it's got a peppery feel yeah. against the cheese richness yeah. with the butter, the lemon. And the citrus, you know, yeah. That, a little that, bitterness, That salty too. snap of the prosciutto is yeah. what Ooh. really... That sounds so good. It's, it's a it's missing a flavor in our repertoire of flavors because it has that little bit of bitterness at the end. Not yeah. a lot, just a teeny bit with that sharp like bite. Bite, yeah. Oh, you love to taste that in food. Not in high amounts, but a little tossed yeah. in a pasta. Yeah. It's heaven. So I feel like if you have a container of uh, arugula left over, salad greens, instead of letting them go bad, you should toss them into everything. Totally. <laughs> you can, sure. Right? Right? Oh, stews. Yeah. You know, Alex, yeah. Alex, I love that comment. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. a great comment. Great idea to do. Don't, always have to Don't let salad. it go to waste. You know where I like it is risottos or any oh, kind yeah. of rice yeah. dish. Same thing, just like you said, fold it in right at the end, right before you serve it. Rice yeah. dishes. Disappears. Yeah, beautiful color, too. Chris, when you tell us about your friend in Italy and how they do pasta there, yep, and chop. he chops up fine yeah. everything in the vegetable drawer, and no matter almost what condition it's in, really? there yeah. you go with your leftover mm-hmm. arugula. Chop it, chop all it up and, and huh. use it almost yeah. like you were sprinkling chives on things. Yeah. yeah. And it has that really amazing fun. little flavor. Does that he you sweat get. it in olive oil or no, whatever? You just toss just it raw. right at the end. Right because at the it end. just wilts in and sort of melts into whatever you're making. It adds a pasta or a rice. Oh, sure. Yeah. Another spot for arugula is pizza. When you get a pizza and you just take an arugula salad, El Forno in in Old Saybrook does this, and then you just put that arugula salad on top of a slice of pizza. One of my oh my, favorite and it pieces. wilts. It lightly wilts, but yeah. some of it stays crispy. But, how about but when before they... you before you put down the arugula, just put on some of that really thinly sliced prosciutto, oh, and then sprinkle over yeah. the top oh. with the arugula okay. salad. So there we Maybe go. a little shaved parm. Yep. Oh. But on but... top of the the red sauce with mm-hmm. the mozzarella oh, yeah. cheese, so you get mm. all that under there too. Oh. What, oh, yeah. and how about the... when they do veal or pork milanese? The oh. chop is in. Yeah. And they coat it with a uh, breadcrumb, a crispy outside breadcrumb coating on the mm-hmm. outside and top on top of salad or salad on top of the yes. chop. I love Both that. Both ways. Love Me that. too. And it will so could you use Cheetos bit. for the for the, you uh, for the milanese? Could. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Cheetos milanese <laughs> with arugula salad wow. on top. You know, that is, is so We're cool. tying the whole show together here. No, you think. <laughs> If you go online, because I've done this, there are so many Cheetos recipes 
You cannot believe it. Cheetos yeah, Milanesa. <laughs> I can Cheetos. see it now. Uh, you know what? It's I so can orange. See it. Almost, oh, how can it you not? can be a food group. I do not want to clean that pan. <laughs> it can be a food group. <laughs> Cheetos <laughs> can definitely be a food group. I mean, I don't know what's in there, but they, they don't know these. I just think they should get some kind of <laughs> prize. These, Dad, these scientists, Dad, these food scientists. Can you make scientists. the Cheetos Milanese again, Dad? <laughs> how, yeah. And how long have Cheetos been around forever? <laughs> yeah. I had Since what, the 40s kid. or 50s? I your guess. Son, I this is for your son. He's a cook there with his, you know, Klondike bar. Is he into the Cheeto thing? Totally. He loves Cheetos. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Who does Totally. Leaving him to his own devices, what would he do with Cheetos? Let's find out. I'll Can you take ask. a movie of Put him it, in the video? I think I could. Put him in the kitchen yeah. and say, Cheetos, right, and I Daniel. need a meal. Here are your, here are your no, ingredients. No Cheetos combined with Klondike bars. No. <laughs> Although, oh, that that's could work. bad. Can I throw that's another one? Bad. Who, how about Fritos? Like do you remember Fritos? Fritos, sure. yeah. love those. That you don't see those around as we much. We still eat them. Love Frito corn <laughs> chips. They have the big okay. scoopable ones. Yeah, Fritos oh, corn yeah. chips. Heaven, those are old school, right? Yeah. yeah. Really crunchy. Really crunchy. What was it that I've had with Fritos lately? I mean, they're using it, using them for so many things sure. now. I love when it's they a good crust. I love the bag. They put chili in a bag, and then they put the oh, Cheetos yeah. in with it, and you eat it with a spoon. How about on top of your barbecued pork sandwich? Heaven. Fritos, crumbled up Fritos yeah. on top of your barbecue oh, pork sandwich. Oh, yeah. I might do the potato chips. Yeah, on yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But absolutely. but I could see the Fritos. Yeah, not as salty as potato. chips. I could I see think Cheetos on that right? sandwich too. I have to say. But Cheetos could be on there too, for sure. I mean, if you think about that crunch against the white bread and that taste of the oh, Cheetos against the white bread, that is good. That's going to oh, yeah. be good. <laughs> That's Especially when good. the bread is so soft, it conforms yeah, to no the convincing shape of the cheese. Here. I'm a, in. a new food group has been created today. <laughs> okay, I have an idea. What about a, a Cheetos banh mi? Oh, yeah. totally. Yep. I haven't seen I that see online. Wow. No, but I can see it putting it on a sandwich with that vinegary kind of pickling stuff. Oh, and then yeah. The, yeah. With um, Cheetos, help absolutely. wash it out. How about uh, macaroni and cheese with a Cheetos crush oh, yeah. instead of oh. bread crumbs? Instead of bread crumbs, you crush yeah. them. Let's pull them up on top. Yeah. Let's just take That's it a it, step right up. Let's put lobster mac and cheese <laughs> with yeah. Cheetos yeah. crunch. Cheetos. No. Oh. Oh, yeah. Good lobster with like... Cheetos. No, come on. <laughs> Robin, like... you're not talking. Are you not a Cheetos fan? <laughs> This I do not like have Cheetos Nichols in the house. In May. Yes. You don't have Cheetos in the house. Well, we never <laughs> we have grown, other junk. Food. Growing up, we didn't have Cheetos in the house. We used to have to sneak out and get our Cheetos, but we got <laughs> them. Yeah. Oh yeah, everybody gets them. Yeah. Well, okay. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. Coming up, one of the best writers going, who's done a play for Longworth Theater. And that is Adam Gopnik. His play is The Most Beautiful Room in New York. Director Gordon Edelstein, and wow, I can't wait to see it. We're going to talk with Adam Gopnik next.
This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, that means the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. I'm Faith Middleton. To hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Oh, I've been counting the minutes for this conversation because uh, this is one of my favorite writers uh, out there. This is Adam Gopnik of The New Yorker, also an author of so many books. I think I've probably read every single thing he's ever written. And the exciting thing for me, and I think for everybody, you know, if I can presume to say so, is that he and Gordon Edelstein of Long Wharf Theater have teamed up and they have created, this is uh, Adam's writing, a play at Longmore Theater. It's having its premiere right now. My prediction, off to Broadway it goes. It's called The Most Beautiful Room in New York. And food is involved, and that's why Ooh. he's on the show, except that I would find any excuse. <laughs> Adam, welcome to the Food Schmooze hey, Party. Th- thank you, Faith. Thank you so much. I should add right away, too, that it's not merely a play. It's a musical play. Exactly. With, with wonderful music um, to my lyrics by David Shire, the great Academy Award-winning uh, composer of countless Broadway musicals as well. And what kind of orchestra do you have there? We have a small chamber orchestra, seven pieces, really kind of little uh, jazz band. And it's, I have to say, I like it better than a, than a big band because there's a kind of intimacy to the show, and that band reflects the, the feeling. Should we tell the story in a short way of the play, or should sure, that be a surprise? I'd be glad to. Okay, Although go. I would add, Faith, that I am like the world's worst elevator pitcher, but I will try and give you the elevator pitch, as they call it in Hollywood. It's about a family, the Kaplan family, who have been running a beautiful little restaurant, the most beautiful room in New York, for the past 20 years off Union Square, right by the Green Market. And, of course, as always, New York, when they opened, nobody came there. And now that they've made everybody want to come there, they can't afford to stay there. The new lease comes in, and they can't possibly afford it. And the only thing that David, our hero, David Kaplan, the chef, can think of doing is going back to his oldest friend in the food world, Sergio Mameso, who has, in the years since they split up, become a kind of cross between Anthony Bourdain, Mario Batali, and uh, Bobby Flay, is a huge media star. And he asks him to invest in the restaurant again. But what David doesn't know is that Sergio and David's wife, Claire, had a passionate love affair 20 years before they never told him about. So so we have both the struggle to keep a restaurant alive in the midst of the craziness of New York real estate and a classic love triangle. And that's basically the story we tell. Ah, uh, so this is uh, on through the end of <laughs> May, like, by the sounds way. Sounds like every restaurant I've ever worked in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Secrets, nobody tells anybody about the passionate love affairs, yeah. and everybody tells everybody that they can't afford the rent. So. <laughs> I know. I, you know, it's like it's impossible to go to a dinner party with food people uh, without them saying, did you know so-and-so is secretly with so-and-so? Oh. And this one doesn't know, but this one does. And oh, it's just yeah. unbelievable. Well, terrific. I cannot wait to see this thing. So um, what is it like for you to see, I once asked a, a dancer what it was like to skate on skates on an ice rink, and she said it was like a dream come true for her. So for you to have the words leap into the air with music, what, what is that like? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, the truth is, is that my dream in life had always been to be in musical theater. When my wife, Martha, and I came to New York City from Canada on a bus in 1980, I had the college show. I had written the college show 
at McGill about a uh, great Russian constructivist architect named Tatlin. And I was sure that I was six weeks from Broadway, you know, because the demand for uh, Broadway shows about Russian constructivist architects is legendary. Oh, yeah. And I also had a tape of the best songs that I had written for this show and for myself. And we knew someone who had once been to dinner with someone who knew the sister of Art Garfunkel's psychotherapist. And we felt that on that basis, we would be guaranteed... I'd get an immediate uh, life as a songwriter. It never happened, of course. Life took a different turn for me. But it had always been strong in the back of my mind. I love musical theater in all of its forms. It's, for me, the most moving, of truly, of all art forms, more than opera or anything else. Because, you know, it's the one form where ordinary people get to sing of extraordinary emotions. Mm. And to hear my words set to David Shire's beautiful music and to try and create those moments which you must have in a musical play where people's experience forces them to sing. You know, that's the weird thing about a musical is that you have to create moments when this very weird thing, people singing instead of speaking, feels completely natural, inevitable. That's the art of the musical. Mm. So to have to craft those moments, carpenter those moments, when the only thing a character can do is sing. It's terrifically hard and unimaginably rewarding when it works and you can feel the the audience rise with the words of the music. I just I can't say it enough. Adam Gopnik. Adam Gopnik. He's the, he's the man on the show today. <laughs> um, talking about his play at Longworth Theater, which is having its world premiere, I like to say, the most beautiful room in New York, uh, very much about the food world. And so that's one of the reasons that he's on the show. It is the first time you've ever made me understand, I happen to like musicals, that just like with novels, musicals too, you have to believe the singer. You totally have to believe the singer. You have to believe the character. And there's no breed of actors who I admire more than musical theater actors. And we've been blessed to have a fantastic ensemble uh, for this show, um, led by um, Anastasia Barzi, who's a fantastic uh, singer and actress, and uh, Matt Bogart and Constantine Maroulis. Those are our three leads. It's astonishing because they have to do everything that actors do, that is make a character real, full-dimensional and believable, and sing beautifully at the same time. They're a very special breed. Uh, Did you learn uh, what the difference is between that uh, authenticity you're describing and that thing that we all know can happen in musical theater where someone goes, oh, Henry, you know, where you just think, well, this is a kind of over-the-top projection for the audience unless it's meant to be a part of, you know, in a producer's kind of way. It's meant to be... It's an incredible craft. You know, one of the things that you learn, for instance, I have one of the the singers and actresses I admire most, Melissa Errico, who was one of the people who helped me develop the show, said uh, to me once, you know, the whole key is don't write the song in the scene. In other words, it's very kind of when musical theater isn't working, it's because someone says, you know, I love you, Clara. And she says, oh, you don't really love me. And then we are into the song, How I Love Clara, right? <laughs> and we all know exactly what the song is going to be from the words said immediately before. And part of the art of it is to craft it so that even when you feel a song is coming, you don't know what the content of the song will be. The song always has to surprise you. And it has to lift up through an arc of narrative to the next landing point in the story. Gordon Edelstein is a fantastic director. Uh. You know, we've worked together now for, oh, six years, and all he thinks about is story and staying on story and how this next song drives the story forward. And for me as a prose writer, Faith, you know, it's a bit, 
it's different. I, I love propulsion, and I love narrative, and I try to give even my collections of nonfiction essays some sense of propulsion. But, you know, it's a pleasure when you're reading prose to meander a little bit if you feel you're in good company. You like to take a digression. You like to nestle in a parenthesis for a minute or two. You can't do that on stage, on, mm. you know, because we're controlling your time. You're not controlling our time. Oh. And we have to give you an absolute linear propulsion of storytelling and at the same time have some wit and beauty and melody along the way. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm in love. I'm in love. <laughs> this is the best. So are you actually saying that the music, never thought of this either, that the content of the musical piece that's being sung is actually supposed to move the story forward, not just reflect what was said? It's not it, only supposed to, it absolutely must. And when musicals don't work, no matter how gifted they are, it's because instead of advancing the story, the songs comment on the story, or they're simply kind of internal soliloquies that sit mm -hmm. inside the character and don't move the story forward in some way. It's one of the reasons, you know, Faith, why some of the most gifted songwriters in the world, Sting or Paul Simon, have had troubles with the musical theater form because their natural instinct is to write kinds of internal soliloquies. Think of all those great Sting songs, right, that really are kind of sit inside the soul of the singer. Fantastic things, but they're not narrative in that way. They don't move a story forward. And, you know, the other thing that you learn as I have been in this apprenticeship, and I am no more than an apprentice to musical theater, is, you know, you just were singing a few bars of um, uh, I'm in love with a wonderful guy from uh, South Pacific. And, you know, the, you know <laughs> I'm in love, I'm in love, right? <laughs> yes. And one of the things that you learn, you know, I've, I can't beat the graduate student out of myself, and I've done as much reading as I can in the history of American musical theater. And, you know, that song, for instance, is famous because it's failed completely on stage when it was first done. And they couldn't figure out why it was failing. Great song. And it's because Mary Martin was washing her hair. But she was washing her hair on stage at the same time as she was singing. And there was too much for the audience to pay attention to. They couldn't pay attention to an actress washing her hair and singing the song. So they had her sing the song first and wash her hair after, and it became uh, a classic. Wow. A That's huh. how finely detailed, how acutely carpentered moments in musical theater have to be. Oh, great word. So uh, this is Adam Gopnik, and he has written a play, The Most Beautiful Room in New York, having its premiere at Long Wharf Theater in New Haven now through the end of May. I encourage you to see it. I'm just about to jump into that audience myself. I cannot wait for this. Very much about the food world. Totally. Um, it's a musical, and there's an orchestra, uh, kind of a jazz group. Fabulous. So Mary Martin was on the show years ago, and she said I, I, that trying to think if this was about Cole Porter. And anyway, she was talking about how scary it was with his keen sense of language and timing to have him come to rehearsal and hear her or anyone, particularly her, do these words because he would jump up and say, that's not what I hear in my head. You've got to duplicate. So how exacting are you when you're sitting there? I'm the least exacting writer around. I'm just so insanely grateful to this wonderful uh -huh. ensemble who are doing my stuff that I'm always inclined to say, if it feels more comfortable for you to do it that way, do it that way. You know, I live for language and I live for syllable by syllable through words. So if something is really off, I squeal and I say mm -hmm. so. But the truth is, is that, and this is one thing that I think is I don't know how to put this very well, Faith. It's one of the things that generationally that we feel, those of us who grew up listening, say, to the Beatles and Joni Mitchell just as much as we listen to Cole Porter or Rodgers and Hart and love both equally, 
is that we're, we're inclined to be a little bit slacker about, I don't, I don't mean slack in a bad way, but we're inclined to be less um, hyper-rigorous about rhymes and scansion if an emotion is being communicated. You know, that's, you know, Joni Mitchell didn't always have a perfect rhyme, but she always had a perfect song. So I try to be something less of a disciplinarian because mm-hmm. for me, the essential thing is that the essence of the emotion get communicated. Mm. And as long as that's happening, I'm glad to play a little bit with the language to make it easier for the singer. Mm. And yet, is there a part of you, as there is in me, that uh, sometimes wishes that more modern music would get away from the sort of, you know, Gertrude Steinian, a rose is a rose. <laughs> yes, you know, I'm a freak in that way, because though I grew up listening to the Beatles and the Stones and Joni Mitchell and all that fantastic stuff, the truth is I discovered Lorenz Hart, Rogers and Hart, when mm-hmm. I was about 14, mm-hmm. in the way that more normal kids discover Bukowski or, you know, uh, um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or, mm-hmm. you know, really daring things. I discovered Rogers and Hart, and I love that kind of rich, complicated lyric writing full of internal rhymes and self-conscious wit. That's my great passion, really. So, yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I think we could use a lot less um, repetition and more Gilbert and Sullivan in all of our lives. Uh, Adam, do you have way in your background, if you've ever done your genealogy? Have you, by the way? Have, have you ever done it? I, sort of in a minimal way, yeah. Yeah. Is there any um, tradition of, you know, big storytelling in your family? Um, a lot of big liars in my family. That's <laughs> that translates. On my father's side, are all Russian Jews, right? And they all are people who live for teasing and for joking. And, you know, my grandfather, may he rest in peace, lived to tell the world's corniest jokes. And I actually have the hero of our show having a habit in telling corny jokes. So that whole notion that you turn anything that happens to you into a story and then you tell it over dinner, that was a very deep thing in my family. Uh, mm. I, I just learned that way, way, way back there in one of the earlier tribes, there's someone who was uh, responsible for the storytelling or the history, passing it on, who's, who's really? my relative, was that was his job, and his name was John the Bad Behavior. I'm interested in this tradition wow. now in families. Um, you're your grandfather sounds wonderful, by the way. He was a dear man. He really was. Yeah. Um, uh, will your family come to see this play? Yes. You know, I have six brothers and sisters, and they're coming in dribs and drabs. You know, it's hard to corral them all at the same time. But one of my brothers is working on my only brother. I'm heavily sistered, is doing some research in New Haven at Yale, so he'll be there. And my parents, who are in their 80s and live on a farm, a crazy farm in Ontario, are driving down as well. Oh. So I'll be delighted to see them. Although, you know, it's a very funny thing. They're um, astonishing people. I love them very much. But they are not fans of the musical theater for the most part. They'll be fans of mine because it's their son. But they were of a generation that were less interested in Broadway than they were in Baroque music and so on. And it was a kind of funny kind of rebellion on my own part that I developed such a passion for uh, for the American musical. Uh Uh-huh. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm still devoted to every single word you write. Can't even wait after, to get even there. Even after listening. Even after <laughs> this. <laughs> Adam, the good behavior. Thank I'm you. I'm trying to be. Thank you so much for attending. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. See you soon. Absolutely. Okay. To Me Bye. too. Adam Gopnik. His new play, The Most Beautiful Room in New York, is premiering world premiere at Long Wharf Theater through the end of May. I encourage you to see this one. Very much about the food world. 
and it's a musical. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. See you there.